ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد So carrying on with this particular series of lessons, we've been having a look at the book of Sheikh Abdurrahman Sa'di, Rahimahullahu Ta'ala, the book, Delight of the Pious Hearts, Bahjat Qulub Al-Abrar. And we've mentioned the first hadith, and we've had a look at it. We've mentioned the second hadith, and we've had a look at it. The first hadith was the hadith that was talking about sincerity in your actions. Sincerity in all of what you do. Sincerity in all of your behaviors, your statements, your dealings with the people. Knowing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees everything you do. Nothing you can conceal from Him. So sincerity was the purpose and the point highlighted in the opening narration. In the second narration, it was regarding the need, the obligation to follow the sunnah and to abandon innovations, to abandon anything new brought into this religion which does not have proof from the Qur'an or the sunnah upon it, to abandon any form of innovation, because indeed Allah has told us in the Qur'an already, الْيَوْمَ أَكْمَلْتُ لَكُمْ دِينَكُمْ On this day I have completed my religion, or completed upon you your religion, Allah completed the religion, gave us all of the revelation through Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Everything we need to know to get us to paradise, Allah taught us, the Messenger taught us in the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Everything we need to know to protect ourselves from the hellfire, to stay away from that evil, We've been taught in the Qur'an, in the Sunnah. There is no gaps left in the religion for anybody to have to come along and fill in now. No gaps left, no deficiencies left. You want to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you want to show your love for your Creator, then the Qur'an, the Sunnah, the religion is there for you. Practice it and implement it. That is the sign of your love for Allah. That is the sign of the sincerity in your heart. Practice and implement the Qur'an and the Sunnah. As for an individual who comes along and wants to innovate into the religion, bring about some innovation some new act of worship claiming that he is only doing it to demonstrate his love for Allah and the Messenger, then tell him, no, your love for Allah and the Messenger is not demonstrated by you making up new worships that Allah and His Messenger have not taught us. Your love for Allah and His Messenger is in the fact that you obey the commandments as they are in the Qur'an and the Sunnah. قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهِ فَاتَّبِعُونِي Say that if you truly love Allah, then follow me. That is the ayah in the Qur'an, the ayah that the scholars call the ayah of examination. That is the test for everybody. This ayah examines everybody. 
How does it examine the people? How does it test the people? Because it says, if you love Allah, you truly love Allah, you want to demonstrate that, you want to show that, you claim to be loving Allah, then what is the sign of it? Then follow me. Follow the Qur'an, follow the sunnah. Do what it says in there. Stay away from what it tells you to stay away from. That will be the sign of your true love for Allah and the Messenger. As for making up innovation, then no. As the narration said, مَنْ أَحْدَثَ فِي أَمْرِنَا هَذَا مَا لَيْسَ مِنْهُ فَهُوَ رَدَّ Whomsoever brings about something new into our religion, then it will be rejected. فَهُوَ رَدَّ as the scholars say, اي مردود على صاحبه thrown back onto that person. The action will not be accepted because it is not something Allah or the Messenger prescribed upon us in the revelation. So that is what we covered so far. Now then moving on from that to hadith number 3. Hadith number three in this particular book is the hadith of Tamim Ad-Dari radiyallahu anhu. The hadith of Tamim ibn Aws Ad-Dari radiyallahu anhu, Abu Ruqayyah. He says, قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Ad-deenu al-nasiha, Ad-deenu al-nasiha, Ad-deenu al-nasiha. Qalu liman ya Rasulallah? Qala lillahi wa li kitabihi wa li rasulih, wa li a'immati al-muslimina wa ammatihim. Hadith which is narrated in Sahih Muslim Where the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said Ad-Deenun Nasihah For those who have an understanding of the Arabic language Ad-Deenu An-Nasihah Both words in the Arabic language are Ma'rifah Ad-Deen An-Nasihah both are ma'rifa as it is said in Arabic. The meaning of that or the point of that is, even if you don't understand Arabic, the point of that to highlight here is that when two words in Arabic are ma'rifa like this, it indicates restriction. Indicates restriction. Meaning, when the Prophet ﷺ said, Ad-Dinu Then the meaning of that is that this religion is nothing other than Nasiha. This religion is restricted into that, into being a Nasiha. So then the question is, what is a Nasiha? If this sentence here is giving us an understanding of restriction, the whole of the religion is an-nasiha, restricted into this affair of an-nasiha. Then we need to understand what is an-nasiha. Often you will find it translated into English as advice. But the reality is nasiha, it refers to something that is pure. Something that is pure. So you could understand it in one sense, that the meaning here is, this religion, all of it is purity. Meaning, sincerity. Sincerity of worship to Allah. Purity of your heart in your worship to Allah. Whole of this religion of Islam is upon that. And that is what the first two hadith were talking about. That all of your worship has to be upon sincerity and following the sunnah. So here, ad-deenun nasihah, this religion is indeed all of it, an-nasihah. 
Meaning it is all built upon, revolves around that purity and sincerity. Purity and sincerity in what regard? That is exactly what the companions asked the Prophet ﷺ. When he said to them, Ad-Dinu An-Nasiha. And in some narrations it says that he repeated it three times. That the Prophet ﷺ said to them three times, Ad-Dinu An-Nasiha. Ad-Dinu An-Nasiha. Ad-Dinu An-Nasiha. So then they said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, قَالُوا لِمَنْ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ To whom, O Messenger of Allah, this purity, this sincerity, to whom, O Messenger of Allah, how is this purity and sincerity in religion? So then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam explained to them. He said to them, Firstly, this purity and this sincerity, it is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Here in the hadith, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam will now give them a few different categories as to where this purity and sincerity needs to be from a Muslim. Firstly, and at the head of everything, is purity and sincerity in your heart, in your worship, in your actions, in everything, to Allah firstly. So every form of worship that you do, whether it is worship in the heart, whether it is worship upon your tongue, whether it is worship upon your limbs, every type of worship, you make that sincere for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, pure for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is the first meaning of this religion being purity and sincerity. Ad-deenun nasiha. Firstly, between yourself and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because, as we've mentioned before many a time, this whole religion is actually established and based upon that principle, upon the principle of sincerity of worship to Allah, i.e. Tawheed. This whole religion is built upon Tawheed. A person wants to examine himself, what is he doing with his life, what is he doing with his worship, then he needs to recollect to remember this base fact that this whole religion of yours, all of your worship that you do, it is acceptable only upon one basis. And that is the basis of Tawheed, the basis of Ad-Dinu Nasiha to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, meaning upon Tawheed. And what is Tawheed? So now let's have some participation. Who can define what Tawheed is? Everybody understands and everybody hears this all the time. La ilaha illallah, Tawheed, must be upon Tawheed, monotheism. So, who will explain to us very briefly in a nutshell, Somebody comes to you, a kafir comes to you, says your religion, I'm reading into it. What is this thing about Tawheed? All of the books they keep telling me Islam is built upon Tawheed, monotheism. Explain to me quickly in a minute, what is monotheism? What is Tawheed? There is no deity except Allah. He will say to you, that's okay, in that case I'll stay a Christian. Because I believe God, there is no other God except God. Or he'll say to you, in that case I'll stay a Jew. Because we believe there is no deity except God too. We need more information on top of that. Who's talking? Sorry, who's talking? Ah. Belief in... 
Okay? Even up to that, most of it, he'll probably agree. Angels, yes. Previous prophets, yes. The revelations in the books, yes. The final messenger they don't agree upon. But everything else, again, it's overlapping. We need to give a clear distinction. Islam is built upon Tawheed. In a nutshell, explain to me what is Tawheed. The oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So dedication of all of your worship purely to Allah. Okay. Allah is Al-Ahad, He is the one, unique. Anything else? <coughs> Names and attributes. Let's mention a definition of Tawheed, which is easy to remember the main points of it. If somebody comes along and asks you, a Muslim comes and asks you, anybody, tell me and explain to me what Tawheed is. Uh huh. You can say to him, firstly, the word Tawheed. You know, when you look in the books of the scholars, whenever they want to explain something, they'll explain to you what does the word mean to begin with. Before going into the details, what does the word Tawheed in Arabic actually mean? Yes, we translate it as monotheism, but even monotheism, many people are going to say, what does that mean? You need to explain. So Tawheed in Arabic, from the word Wahada Yuwahidu, to make something single and unique. <coughs> the meaning of the word Tawheed is to make something single and unique. The question is, how do you make something single and unique? Tawheed is about making something single and unique. The question is, how do you make something single and unique? There's an example given by a Shaykh al He said, that room at the back, or the room at the side, the room right here, I tell you now, for example, in this room, where there are no windows and the door is locked, you can't see inside it, but I tell you, take my word for it, there are four people in there. There are four people inside this room. Uh, Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali. Make it easy to remember. There are four people in this room, their names are Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, and Ali. I then tell you, that Abu Bakr, he is standing up, I can tell you. I just came out of the room, Abu Bakr is standing up. There's four of them in there, and Abu Bakr, there was Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, Abu Bakr is standing up. So now if I ask you in that room, which none of you have seen, and you can't see inside it, I say to you, how many people are standing up right now in that room? The answer is, one, that is, who, who's the one? Abu Bakr. So you're gonna say to me, one person is standing up. How do you know you can't even see inside? Because I've just walked out of there. I've told you there's four of them in there. Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali. And I've told you Abu Bakr, he was standing up just now. So I say, how many people are standing up in there right now? You say to me, one, Abu Bakr. But then what if I turn around and I say to you, that you're wrong. It is not just one person. Because if I then say to you, what is Umar doing right now? What is he doing? I didn't say Umar was standing up, I just said Abu Bakr was standing up. What is Umar doing? So the other three, Umar, Uthman, Ali, you assumed that they were sitting down. I didn't say they were sitting down at all. I didn't say anything about the other three. I just said to you, Abu Bakr is standing up. Maybe the other three are standing up too. Is it possible or not for my statement? It is completely possible. There is no deception in my statement. 
There is no deception in my statement. I say to you, Abu Bakr, he was standing up just now. How many are standing up? It's impossible for you to say just Abu Bakr. Maybe it is just him. But it's impossible to say. Maybe the other three are standing up too. I didn't say anything about them. Maybe two of the other three are standing up. Maybe one of the other three is standing up. I didn't give you any negation about the other three. I gave you an affirmation. The affirmation was that definitely Abu Bakr is standing up. I affirmed that. But did I negate that the other three are standing up or not? No, I did not. Therefore, is it possible one or more from the other three could be standing up too? They could. In that case, when I come out of the room now and say to you, Abu Bakr was standing up just now and go silent. Have I made Abu Bakr unique and one in the act of standing up with that statement of mine? I haven't. Because the other three could be standing up too. In order for me to make Abu Bakr single and unique in the act of standing up, I need to give you an affirmation. I need to tell you Abu Bakr is standing up. Then I need to give you a negation about the other three. If I now walk out of the room and therefore say, Abu Bakr is standing up in there, no one else is standing up right now. How many are standing up? Now you can say definitely one. Because I've affirmed one is standing up, and I've negated that the other three are standing up. Hence leaving Abu Bakr single and unique upon the act of standing up. La ilaha illallah is exactly the same in the understanding. When you say, there is no deity worthy of worship in truth, that is a negation. Illallah, except Allah, that is an affirmation. It's like me saying, nobody is standing up in the room, except Abu Bakr. I have now made him, Single and unique in the act of standing up. You say, there is no deity worthy of worship in truth, except Allah. Negate it from all the others, affirm it to Allah alone. That is a definition of how to make something single and unique. You need two things therefore. You need affirmation and you need negation. If you only have one of the two, it is not single and unique. If a person came along now and said, I affirm that Allah exists. I affirm Allah created the heavens and the earth. I affirm Allah has, uh, Allah is the one who gives life and death. I affirm Allah controls all of the universe. And then you turn around and say to him, but you're not a Muslim. How? Because even though this person comes along and affirms all of that, has he negated the fact that he also worships another hundred other gods as well? He hasn't done any negation. Uh, a Hindu could come along, or a Christian could come along. A Christian comes along and says, yes, I affirm all of that. God has the right to be worshipped, and Him, and He created everything, gave us life and death, all of it. I'm with you. But has he negated that anybody else has the right to be worshipped? He has not. He still believes Jesus and the Spirit and the Father and all these things. And the, the Buddhist comes along and believes in a hundred other gods. The Hindu, the Sikh comes along believes in a hundred other gods. So just if somebody comes along and affirms the existence of Allah and that Allah created and provided etc. doesn't indicate that this person is now Upon Tawheed. For him to be upon Tawheed, he needs to affirm it all and negate it from all others. So, you want to explain Tawheed? Firstly, you explain that the word Tawheed means to make something single and unique. How do you make something single and unique? By affirmation and negation. Both of them. If you only had one of them, it would not be Tawheed. If I only gave you an affirmation, Abu Bakr is standing up. No negation, 
It is not possible to identify Abu Bakr as the only person standing up. If I gave you only a negation, I said nobody is standing, or I said to you, Umar, Uthman and Ali are not standing up in the room. If I came out of the room and said that to you, I gave you a negation. There are four of them in the room, uh, uh, Umar, Uthman and Ali are not standing up. So how many are left? How many are standing up? Just Abu Bakr is left. But can we affirm the act of standing up to him? Single and unique? Not possible, I never affirmed it. Maybe he's sitting down too? Maybe he's sitting down too? The only way to make one of them unique in the particular act, to affirm it to him and to negate it from the others. That is the basis of Tawheed. Affirmation and negation. Affirm that all worship is for Allah alone, negated from all others besides Him. And that is why it is shirk and wrong to go to the graves and make dua to them, and ask them for help and your needs, or ask them to take your dua to Allah, to make this wasila, to make this intercession. How can you do that? You are saying you're a Muslim, you affirm all worship to Allah alone, and you negate it from all others, by going to the dead people in the graves, and making dua to them, and asking them to take your dua to Allah, you are now committing an act of shirk, because making dua is an act of worship, and every act of worship, for you to be upon tawheed, needs to be affirmed only to Allah, and negated from all others. Anytime you take an act of worship, and you start doing it to others besides Allah, then in reality you have fallen short in negating it from all others. So that is the essence of Tawheed. To make something single and unique, by affirmation and negation. And you will see, the whole of the Qur'an is built upon that principle in Tawheed. Affirmation and negation. وَلَقَدْ بَعَثْنَا فِي كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ رَسُولًا أَنْ يَعْبُدُوا اللَّهِ وَاجْتَنِبُوا الطَّاغُوتِ Allah told us, every messenger that was sent, was sent with the same message of Tawheed, built upon affirmation and negation. Because every messenger was sent with what message? Telling their people, worship Allah. That is an affirmation of worship to Allah. And then, stay away from all of the false deities. Negation of worship to all others. Every prophet used to say to his people, Ya qawmi ibudullah, ma lakum min ilahin ghayru. O people, worship your Lord. This is, Affirmation. مَا لَكُمْ مِنْ إِلَهٍ غَيْرُ You do not have any other deity besides Him. Negation for all other so-called deities. That is the manner of the Qur'an in establishment of Tawheed throughout. Various ayat. وَاعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ وَلَا تُشْرِكُوا بِهِ شَيْئًا Worship your Lord. Affirmation. وَلَا تُشْرِكُوا بِهِ شَيْئًا And do not commit any shirk. Negation. That is the basis of Tawheed. So if somebody wants to understand, they ask you, you explain to them. Tawheed, our religion is built upon making Allah single and unique. In terms of His actions, there are certain actions Allah does only. Like the creation of the heavens and the earth. Only Allah did that. Nobody aided or participated in that. Like giving life and death to everything here. Only Allah. Nobody participates with Him. Sending the rain and the provisions for us, our rizq. Only Allah, nobody else. These are actions that we affirm to Allah alone and we negate that anybody else does these things. Then also we make the tawheed of Allah Singling out Allah, single and unique, affirmation, negation, with regards to our actions. All of our worship, in the heart, on the tongue, on the limbs, we affirm it to Allah alone, 
and we reject it from all others besides Allah. And similarly, Tawheed in the names and attributes of Allah. وَلِلَّهِ الْأَسْمَاءُ الْحُسْنَى فَدْعُهُ بِهَا And Allah has the most perfect and beautiful of names, so call upon Him via them. Affirmation of those perfect and beautiful names at the pinnacle of perfection and beauty to Allah and negation of them from others besides Him and the same in the attributes. That in a nutshell is Tawheed. Tawheed of Allah in terms of making Allah single and unique in His rububiyyah, His actions, in terms of the uluhiyyah, our actions, and in terms of al-asma'u wa-sifat. That in a nutshell is the explanation of the basis of Tawheed. So here in this hadith, when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to them, Ad-deenu nasiha Ad-deenu nasiha Ad-deenu nasiha This religion, it is nasiha meaning purity and sincerity. Then at the head of all of this purity and sincerity that is required is the purity and sincerity of your worship, of your tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is the head of the affair. Then after that, the second point that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mentioned to them, after telling them that this nasiha, it is firstly for Allah, then he said, وَلِكِتَابِهِ And the purity, the sincerity, the nasiha, to the book of Allah. To the Qur'an. How do we have now this purity, this sincerity to the book of Allah? It can be summarized in a few points. Firstly, to make sure that all of us have the correct aqidah regarding the book of Allah. And that correct aqidah is to believe that the Qur'an, it is the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is the speech of Allah. Allah spoke the Qur'an with words and sounds. Spoke the Qur'an. And Jibreel alayhi salam heard that from Allah. And then he came and taught the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The Qur'an is not something Allah created. Like the creation of the heavens and the earth. The Qur'an is not just another creation. The Qur'an came from Allah, the speech of Allah. Allah spoke the Qur'an. So we cannot say it's created, because if we said it's created, that would mean the speech of Allah, when Allah spoke the Qur'an is created. We cannot say that. We cannot say Allah speaking is a created act, that Allah is created. We cannot say that. So the Qur'an is not created. It is the speech of Allah. Allah spoke the Qur'an. Jibreel heard that Qur'an from Allah and came and taught the Prophet ﷺ. So to have the correct aqidah regarding the Qur'an, that it is not created, it is the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Secondly, to recite it from the nasiha, from your purity, sincerity to the book of Allah, is to recite it. The Qur'an isn't just to be put on the shelves or to be made into fancy posters to go on the walls in frames. The scholars have said, do not do that. Don't just put the Qur'an, ayatul kursi and qul ya ayyul kafirun and all these different ayat into fancy portraits that they sell in the Islamic bookshops for 20 pounds, 50 pounds. And you buy them and put them on the wall. Nobody ever reads them. You probably still don't even know what the translation of those ayat is, even though it's been on your wall for 20 years. That is not the purpose of the Qur'an, to make decoration for your homes. The Qur'an is to be recited, to be read. The Prophet ﷺ said, every letter that you recite from the Qur'an, 10 rewards. And then he clarified he said, لا أقول ألف لام ميم حرف I don't mean that when you say ألف لام ميم that this is one letter where you'll get 10 rewards. Rather, ألف لام ميم ألف is a letter. لام is a letter. 
meme is a letter. So when you recite Alif, Lam, Meem, 30 rewards already upon that one word because it has three letters in it. So the recitation of the Qur'an is something of importance. Part of the nasiha and the purity towards it. Thirdly, the memorization of it. To memorize the Qur'an. Memorization of the Qur'an is important. And there are evidences in the Qur'an and the sunnah that tell us about the reward of the one who memorizes the Qur'an. How certain chapters of the Qur'an, they will come on the day of judgment, intercede for you on behalf of the one who had memorized them. How Surah Al-Baqarah, it is a protection from the shayateen in your homes. Recite it in your homes. Surah Al-Baqarah. So to have memorized and to have understood these ayat, that is another key. So the correct aqidah, recitation of the Qur'an, memorization of the Qur'an, and fourthly, understanding the meanings, the tafsir of it. Because it wouldn't really be beneficial as much to a person to simply read it and memorize it, but not have a clue what he is reading or memorizing. Not have a clue what these words they mean. Not have a clue what these ayat they mean. Then your benefit is severely restricted. Reading it, memorizing it, and we see that the people are hafiz. Hafiz of the Qur'an. Yet he doesn't know what he has memorized. The whole book of Allah, he knows it in his mind, knows it in his heart, yet he doesn't actually understand any of it. So that is a disaster. That is not the situation you want to be upon. The Qur'an is there as a guidance for understanding. That's why the Salaf, they used to say, مَا كُنَّا نَتَجَاوَزْ عَشْرَ آيَاتٍ مِّنَ الْقُرْآنِ حَتَّى نَعْلَمَ مَعَانِيهَا وَنَعْمَلَ بِهَا We never used to go beyond 10 ayat of the Qur'an until we knew their meanings and we acted upon them. They wouldn't just read and read without understanding what's going on. They would look to understand what the Qur'an is saying because it is guidance. Qur'an is revelation from Allah meant for you as a Muslim, guidance for you. Guidance for the people of taqwa. So you know what that revelation is and what your Lord is saying to you. So it is of importance that you read, that you memorize, and that you understand what's going on with the Qur'an. Read the translations, the Muhsin Khan, Taqiyuddin al-Hilali translation, help you along with understanding Attend the lessons of tafsir, listen to them online, the lessons of tafsir from the Salafi scholars or students, so that you gain some understanding of what this Qur'an is. At the very minimum, to begin with, the prayer itself, the Fatiha that you recite, surely, surely you need to be able to understand and explain what this Fatiha is. And the rest of the prayer, all of the words that you've memorized since you were kids, you need to know what they mean. When you're in ruku' subhana rabbi al-azim, when you're in the sujood, subhana rabbi al-a'la, you need to know what these words mean. Otherwise you are simply robotically saying them, memorize them since you were kids. You pray your prayer like that and you haven't got a clue what is actually happening right now. What is actually happening in my prostration with these words? What is the meaning of them? You need to understand these basics and you will see the huge impact it has upon your khushu' when you pray. Imagine now in the taraweeh, in Ramadan, you come and you pray and the imam is reciting and reciting and you do not understand a word. You're just waiting for the ruku' And then you're waiting for the next ruku' And you're waiting for the next ruku' And you have no understanding of what these ayat are that are being recited. Then imagine the difference for the one who prays and he stands and he listens and he understands. 
understands what is being said in those ayat, understands the stories of the prophets and messengers that are being mentioned, understands the descriptions of paradise and hell. Imagine praying in Ramadan and you understood everything that was being said. That is the difference. So the fourth part of your nasiha, your purity, your sincerity to the Qur'an, is to understand it. The tafsir, the meanings, work on it bit by bit. Start with al-fatiha, understand it properly. So when you pray, you focus on what you're saying, and you understand what you're saying. It's a dua that you're making to Allah. So to know that is of importance. And the fifth point, the fifth point of nasiha is that you, what? Act upon the Qur'an. Have the correct aqidah, read it, memorize it, understand it, act upon it. The Qur'an is for action. The revelation is for action. Seeking knowledge even, you don't seek knowledge just for the sake of seeking knowledge, you know. Seeking knowledge isn't done for the sake of the knowledge. Seeking knowledge is done for the sake of the worship that you can then do based upon the knowledge you've gained. You gain knowledge about wudu, not for the sake of that knowledge, but for the sake of them being able to perform your worship of wudu properly. You gain knowledge about the prayer, how to do it all, not just for the sake of I've memorized all of the prayer, I can read it out to you in my mind, not for that but for the purpose of then being able to do it in prayer. So you seek knowledge for the purpose of being able to do the actions and worship. That is what the purpose of all of this is. All these hadith that we read, all these ayat that we go through, all these lessons and gatherings we have, it is for the purpose of improving us as believers in our worship, in our obedience to Allah, knowing what we're doing, how we're doing it, the sincerity to Allah, the khushu'a, that is the purpose of the knowledge to increase and better your worship. And that's why the scholars, they say, a person who gains knowledge, but does not act upon his knowledge, is like a tree. The trunk of the tree, it grows. And the branches, they come out. And the tree is there. That is knowledge. When you act upon your knowledge, the action is the leaves and the fruits that come from it. Meaning, if you have knowledge, but you don't act upon it, all you have is a tree, a barren tree, like in winter. When all of the leaves have fallen off, all of the fruits have gone, even when the winter sun comes, you get no shade underneath it. That is a barren tree. Knowledge which you have not acted upon. But knowledge that you gain and act upon it, that is when you reap the fruits of that knowledge. The leaves upon the tree giving you shade from the sun. The fruits that grow from it that you take and eat. They are the outcomes of your knowledge that you require. Otherwise you end up with a barren tree Without any fruits, without any leaves, without any shade, without any benefit. So here, the second point was the nasiha to the Qur'an, the book of Allah. Not to neglect it, not to put it aside, and never to open it until the next Ramadan it comes. And perhaps, as a side point, it has become a habit, regrettably, that we do digress often. As a side point, although... Although, not that we are comparable to the scholars in any way, but as Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shanqiti, it is mentioned about him, that when he used to give his lessons, so detailed were the issues that he was talking about, that he even mentioned in one book, that some of the students used to say, just take it easy slightly, all of these other issues that you bring in, and all of these points of benefit and narrations and everything. He said, look, I've learned this knowledge from my scholars. I've learned this knowledge and this is what I have. I need to give it all. If I don't give it all and I take it down a bit, 
then certain parts of the knowledge I learned, I'll never teach and it will die with me. He used to say, when he used to digress, our digressions are different. But nevertheless, with regards to memorization, in certain places, in some of our lessons, we've started memorization programs for the adults in these kinds of classes. So perhaps if there is enthusiasm and the people have what it takes in their hearts to start up some sort of small program here, that could be something to give consideration to. All it means is, at the end of these types of lessons, we set a certain amount for everybody to go and try and memorize. You have two weeks until the next lesson. Two ayahs, three ayahs, and you do it. And then you can come and read to each other that next lesson. Imagine if you did that, two ayahs, three ayahs every fortnight, where you will be by the time next Ramadan comes. One hadith per fortnight. Next Ramadan comes, you will have a bunch of hadith that you have memorized. And you keep doing that for the next year, and the next year, and the next year. In 10 years, where, you, where will you be? And some of you have been practicing maybe 5 years, 10 years, 2 years, 3 years. Imagine you have this program. That's why the scholars always say, set yourselves targets and schedules and programs to learn and to study and to build. Not just randomly coming to a class, listening, missing one, coming one, going to another one. All you'll do like that is gain some general knowledge. So you come one day, you pick up a few points, general knowledge about the religion, go away, miss a few, come again, pick up a few more general points. No real solid knowledge, just general points, general knowledge. So having a set schedule like that is beneficial and it encourages the people. When you have targets, every two weeks we're going to memorize an ayah, we're going to memorize a hadith, brings targets to people, has something to work towards and it helps. And it is something which is working successfully in certain places. So inshallah ta'ala, if there is some, some energy here from the Yorkshire men, then inshallah ta'ala, perhaps something of that nature could be thought of in the future. So thirdly then after that, the Prophet ﷺ then said to them, after nasiha to Allah and to his book, to his messenger, nasiha to the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This can basically be summarized into what we've already discussed. One aspect of nasiha is clearly to follow the sunnah. Every action, every obedience upon sincerity and following the sunnah. But more specifically, when it comes to our nasiha, to the messenger of Allah, to the Prophet ﷺ, you can summarize it in four points. Your purity, sincerity to the Messenger of Allah in four points. Which is basically the meaning of Ashhadu anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh. When you testify Muhammad is the servant and messenger of Allah, then really you are testifying to four things. Firstly, that you will therefore obey the Messenger in all of his commandments. Ta'atuhu fima amara. You will obey the messenger in all of his commandments to us. You're testifying, Ashhadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah. He's the messenger of Allah. Then upon you is to follow his commandments. That is the first point. Secondly, ijtinabu ma naha anhu wa zajara. To stay away from what he prohibited us from. Again, you're testifying Muhammad is indeed the messenger of Allah. Then be truthful to your testification. Stay away from what he prohibited. The second point therefore, stay away from what he prohibited. Allah told us that in the Quran. وَمَا آتَاكُمُ الرَّسُولُ فَخُذُوهُ وَمَا نَهَاكُمْ عَنْهُ فَانْتَهُوا Allah said in the Quran, whatever the Prophet wasallam gives you, then take it. The obligations, do them. And whatever he prohibits you from, then stay away from them. So the first two points of your nasiha, of the meaning of ashhadu anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh, ta'atuhu fima amara wa ajtinabu manaha anhu wa zajara. That you will obey him in what he commanded, and you will stay away from what he prohibited. Number three, tasdiquhu fima akhbara. That you will have absolute certainty in everything the messenger told us. No doubts 
You certainly believe in all of that revelation, in all of that authentic sunnah. Absolute certainty in your hearts from the affairs of the unseen. In the sunnah, in the Qur'an, does it not tell us about what's going to happen on the day of judgment? All of the signs of the day of judgment, that the sun one day is going to rise up in the morning from the west, not the east. That the beast will come on that day. Jesus, Isa salam will come back. All of this in the Qur'an and the sunnah. You have absolute certainty in all of that information. As Allah said in the Qur'an, وَمَا يَنْطِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَىٰ إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحْيٌ يُحَىٰ The Prophet ﷺ does not speak of his desires. Doesn't speak from his desires. Rather, it is all revelation. So third point is absolute certainty in the information from the Prophet ﷺ. Fourthly, أَلَّا يُعْبَدُ اللَّهِ إِلَّا بِمَا That Allah, you will only worship Allah, you will only worship Allah in the way that the Prophet ﷺ taught us. If you're testifying, Muhammad is the messenger of Allah, أَشْهَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ Then of course, you must worship Allah in the way that he taught us to worship Allah. Don't just say, I bear testification, Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. He's the one who got the revelation. But then you're gonna go make up innovations different to what he said? Doesn't make any sense. So fourthly, that you will only worship Allah in the way that he taught us. So when it comes to the birthday of the Prophet celebrations, did he teach us? Did the Prophet ever celebrate his own birthday? Did Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, radiyallahu anhum, ever celebrate his birthday? No. Because he never taught them to do that. If he did, do you think they would have missed it? Do you think Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali radiallahu anhum would have left doing that if he had commanded them with it? Of course not. So we only worship Allah in the manner that he taught us. That is also nasiha to the Prophet Fourthly, nasiha to the rulers. A'immatil muslimin. To the rulers of the Muslims. And this is something of importance because many people have gone astray in this issue. Because now you have people out there. So the fourth point mentioned here is the nasiha to the rulers, the people in charge. This actually covers two points. The people in authority, those in authority are two types. One is the actual rulers, 
The actual rulers are in authority, but there is another type of person who is in authority, and that is the scholar. The scholars, the people of knowledge, they have an authority in the religion that you return to them. Ask the people of knowledge if you do not know. So returning to the people of knowledge is what is upon us in terms of learning about the religion. وَرَثَةُ الْأَنْبِيَاءِ As the Prophet ﷺ said, the scholars are the inheritors of the prophets. They have inherited that knowledge from the prophets. So the scholars have authority and the actual rulers have authority. And to have the nasiha towards them, to listen to the scholars, to follow the scholars in terms of the understanding and gaining the, the understanding of ayat, hadith, the religion, asking them when we don't know, putting questions to them, gaining answers from them, trusting them, loving them. This is all from the right that we have towards the scholars. And similarly the rulers, to have the nasiha to the rulers, make dua for them. And imagine this now. The majority of the people these days do what? The minute a ruler does something which they don't like, they say he's corrupt, he's this, he's that, and maybe he is. But what do they start doing? Straight away on the mimbar, making khutbahs against him, making duas against him. Everyone all getting together, demonstrations, dua against the ruler. This is in opposition to the methodology of the salaf. Imagine now a ruler was corrupt. He did something bad. A ruler did something bad in a particular country. In the country, there's 20 million people in his country. Imagine those 20 million people, instead of going out there every day making dua against him, imagine if the 20 million people all made dua to Allah, Oh Allah, rectify our ruler for us. Oh Allah, make our ruler good for us. Oh Allah, make our ruler firm upon the religion, forgive him for his sins. Imagine if the 20 million were making dua for Allah to make the ruler good. Instead of 20 million out there making dua against him, he's corrupt, he's this, remove him. The Salafi methodology is to have the harmony. Make dua for the ruler. Ask Allah to rectify him. Who are you yourself sitting there uh, talking about the ruler, the ruler this, the ruler that, they do this, they do that. Look at your own state. You think you are from the companions, how you behave in your religion? You think you are practicing Islam like the companions were? Sitting there going to demonstrate. And look at these people who go to demonstrate. Maybe 10,000 of them get together in London. 500,000 numbers, huge numbers. They get together to demonstrate. Muslims, lots of them, thousands of them going there to demonstrate. We're going to demonstrate against the Saudi regime. We're going to demonstrate against this Muslim country, that Muslim ruler. Thousands of them. MashaAllah, they're going to go and demonstrate. And these people in amongst themselves who are holding up the placard, they cannot even hold up their five prayers every day. They cannot even hold up their five prayers every day, but they're going to go to the demonstration and hold up the placard. Saudi regime is bad. Saudi regime is bad. Alhamdulillah, they pray five times a day. Adhan, five times a day. How many times did you pray? So look at your own state before you start saying the ruler this, the ruler that. The way of the salaf is to make dua for the rulers. Ask Allah to rectify him. Because if Allah gives you a good, just ruler, then what will that do for the country? It will be benefit upon benefit. And that's why one of the salaf, he said, if I had one dua that I knew would definitely be answered, if I was given one dua, I was told it will definitely be answered. He said, I would make it for who? Not for himself, my family, give us this, give us that. He said, one dua, if I knew it was definitely going to be answered, I would make it for the ruler. Why? Because if Allah rectifies the ruler, that means the whole of the 20 million under his command will be rectified. The ruler will implement upon them. Masajid, build them, Quran schools, open them up. Teach everybody Islam, give the books of Islam. He will rectify the society if he's upon rectification. So the Salaf, they said, if I had one dua I knew was going to be answered, I'd ask Allah to rectify the ruler, make him good. Because if Allah makes him good, all of these people, my neighborhood, my neighbors, everybody will turn good. 
The ruler will make it obligatory upon them. Go to mosque, pray, teach your children, free education, Quran, everything. He said, that will be better. Instead of making dua just for me and my family, and goodness happens for me and my family, and my neighbor still dying in poverty, or this is happening, that is happening. Better I make dua for the ruler. Allah rectifies him. Everybody under his control becomes rectified. This was the fiqh of the salaf. This is how they thought. But now the people upon the corruption of the ikhwan al-muslimin, and the various groups of ikhwan al-muslimin, they have corrupted the minds of the people into the opposite. Make dua against the ruler, he's so evil, he's a tyrant, he's this, he's that. Maybe they have wrongs. Maybe they have wrongs. Nobody is saying that they are perfect. They have wrongs. However, as as Shaykh al-Athaymin mentioned, even if the ruler has wrongs, what is upon you to do? It is still upon you to obey him. Even if the ruler had wrongs, it was known that he sins, it would still be upon you to obey him. That doesn't change. You can't say, well, he's sinning, I'm not gonna obey him now. It was, he was photographed by the paparazzi. And he was doing this or he was doing that. Caught sinning, I'm not gonna obey him anymore. Wrong. The methodology of the salaf, even if the ruler is a sinner, even if it is established upon you, the ruling for the followers is to obey the ruler. Not these military, uh, these, uh, these uh, uh, revolutions and rebellions and all the chaos that you've seen across the world. Look at what's happening in Syria right now. Look at what's happening in the different countries. All the chaos. This type of thing. If you ask the people now, there's reports that came out. People said that I actually now regret what's happened in Iraq. Iraqis. They say, you know what? Now the state, what the country's in and all of the chaos going on. The same in Libya, other places. They said it was actually better before. At least before nothing was happening, we could walk to the shop, buy our milk and go home, there wasn't going to be a bomb going off on the street. We could go to school and send our kids and they come back, there wasn't going to be bombs dropped on their school. Now chaos, everybody wanting command, everybody wanting authority, because nothing was ever done in the Islamic and proper manner. Nothing was ever returned to the scholars to get their judgments in reality. Chaos from the Ikhwan al-Muslimin, rebel and the ruler this and the ruler that. Take up your weapons, a small group of them here. Another tribe wants to take up weapons and get authority for themselves. This isn't the way of Islam. This chaos is not the way of Islam. So here we're being told the nasiha is, make dua for the ruler. If he is upon wrongness, ask Allah to rectify him so that it becomes good for you. And similarly the scholars, as we said, you love them too. And you take the knowledge from them. Uh, and you return to them when you do not know. The final point mentioned in the narration, the fifth thing that the Prophet ﷺ told them, is nasiha to everybody amongst themselves. Muslim to a Muslim. Nasiha, purity one to another. Sincerity one to another. And that is in regards to your dealings and behaviors with one another. To have the goodness and the righteousness and the piety one to another. And it is a principle of the religion. The hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى يحب لأخيه ما يحب لنفسه. None of you truly believes until you love for your brother what you love for yourself. Which also means therefore, that you hate for your brother what you hate for yourself. You don't want bad coming to you, then you hate that badness should come to your brother. You love goodness to come to you, then love that goodness should come to your brother. Having this good thought and good hearts, one to another, Muslim to another, then this will increase the love between the brothers, between the sisters, in the communities, strengthening them, building them. Look at the salaf, how they were in their unity, in their love, in their strength, in their communities, in their societies. All of those Muslim lands that were conquered in those early times. How? Because of these characteristics in the Salaf. They have these characteristics of goodness. They have the characteristics of piety, of taqwa, of iman. Behaving with one another in that good Islamic manner. Not having envy to another one, hatred to another one, bad feelings to another one. You only eat yourself with that type of thing. Having those types of emotions against others, 
you only eat yourself, not the person. You're sitting there envying, envying, envying. That person hasn't got a clue, he's relaxing. You're eating yourself up. You hate this person, you have bad feeling to this person. You don't want to do this with him, don't want to do that with him. You want to get people against him. He doesn't know any of that. He's relaxing, enjoying life. You're eating yourself. Eating yourself up, burning yourself up. So remove these characteristics from yourselves. And inshallah ta'ala, there is a hadith which is going to come up, talking about those issues. Talking about the types of characteristics a Muslim needs to have, and the types of characteristics that you need to get rid of from yourself. To have peace in your mind, in your heart, and to live your life upon sincerity to Allah, not live your life worrying about this person, that person, and wasting your time. So that is the explanation of that particular narration, that this religion is nasiha. The companion said to the Prophet ﷺ, how? To who, O Messenger of Allah? He said to them, it is nasiha to Allah, and then to the book of Allah, the Qur'an, and then to the messenger, and then to the rulers, the scholars and the rulers, and then to the people amongst yourselves, the ammatihim. So look at this hadith, barely a line long. And this is what they say, Jawami'ul Kalim. The Prophet wasallam used to speak with a few words, yet look at the meanings. And even there, this is only a summarized one lecture. If you wanted to, you could spend three, four, five lectures on this. One hadith. Jawami'ul Kalim. Succinct words, yet great meanings to be learned from them. From the speech of the Prophet So that is what we'll conclude today then. Inshallah ta'ala, in two weeks we carry on. The rest of the lessons are on. Tomorrow, Saturday, the lesson is on. Friday, Abu Iyad again. This Tawheed, slight section where we digressed slightly. The Friday lessons are going to be about that topic in detail. Abu Iyad's lessons every other Friday alternating is going to be on that topic of Tawheed into more detail. So that's a very important topic to know the basics. So inshallah ta'ala, we'll conclude upon that for tonight then. And we'll meet again at the next time inshallah. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.